This practice is said to be as old as time, both in medical and religious history, surprisingly enough. It has been brought up as a cringe-worthy topic, something I probably wouldn't recommend bringing up in your next family dinner. Makes the toughest men recoil thinking about, but it is necessary to talk about. And I like cringy topics, so sue me. Well, I don't blame anyone not talking about circumcisions either. I'm Joyce Grace, and this is Shots of Endorphins. Yeah, yeah, I can hear y'all now. Joyce, why? Just why? Meh, it's me. What can I say? I like goosebump topics in the awkward kind of way. So hush up now and let me give you some really good info on the five W's and how circumcision came to be. Remember y'all, all information is for educational purposes only and was taken from various sources. All right, so for those of you that don't know what circumcision is, it's a medical procedure performed on males by cutting away of all or part of the prepuce, in other words, the foreskin of the penis. Circumcision began in prehistoric times and still survives in some cultures. Its justifications have varied across time and place. In ancient times, circumcision was a ritual, a rite of passage to adulthood. Cutting off a portion of the genitals was part of a tradition of sacrificing what is most precious in order to receive divine benefits of health and prosperity. After that, it was used to create social identity or hierarchy, and later, it was to signify religious identity. Years have seen growing encouragement for male circumcisions as a means of HIV prevention, commencing first among public health specialists working mainly in the USA, then among some of those working in international organizations, and more recently, endorsed as part of a comprehension package of measures supported by both the World Health Organization and UN AIDS. But opinions continue to differ sharply as to whether or not to implement this form of prevention, or in some cases, how quickly to do so. Although there appears to be growing consensus that, as with all HIV-related public health interventions, male circumcisions must be promoted in a culturally appropriated, right-based, and gender-sensitive way. All over the world, male circumcision has its roots deep in the structure of society. Far from being a simple technical act, even when performed in medical settings, it is a practice that carries with it a whole host of social meanings. Some of these meetings link to what is to be a man with circumcision taking place as a rite of passage into adulthood in several African and Oceanic societies. In other settings, male circumcisions carry religious connotations, which is widely practiced among Jews and Muslims, although less so among Christians and rarely among other religions. Due to evangelizing of Apostle Paul, or in his proper Hebrew name, Rab Shaul, and other Jewish believers after Yahshua's, or as his common name known as Jesus, resurrection in 30-35 AD, many of the very early messianics were gentiles who were not circumcised. The messianics, also known as Christianized Jews in Jerusalem, believed all the new converts had to be circumcised because it was an unbroken law of God from Abraham's time to the present. At its detailed in the Bible, in Genesis 17 verses 9-14, through 14, it reads, God said to Abraham, 
As for you, you are to keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, generations after generation. Here is my covenant, which you are to keep, between me and you, along with your descendants after you. Every male among you is to be circumcised. You are to be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. This will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. Generations after generations, every male among you who is eight years old is to be circumcised, including slaves born within your household and those bought from a foreigner not descended from you. The slave born in your house and the person bought with your money must be circumcised. Thus, my covenant will be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. And his uncircumcised male who will not let himself be circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person will be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. Now, the oldest depiction of circumcision comes from a base relief in the necropolis at Saqqara in Egypt, dating to 2400 BC. It was performed with a flint knife on young boys as a ritual transitioning from boyhood to manhood. The genital was anointed with balm and bandaged after the circumcision. About 100 years later, an Egyptian named Yuha described his circumcision along with many other men and said he acquitted himself valiantly. The Colchians, a pre-Hellenistic Greco-Roman country located near the Black Sea, the Egyptians, and the Ethiopians are the only races which, from ancient times, have practiced circumcision. The Phoenicians and the Syrians of Palestine themselves admit that they learned the practice from Egypt and the Syrians as well as their neighbors, the Malchronians located in Greece, say that they learned it only a short time ago from the Colchians, again the Black Sea inhabitants, but no other nations use circumcisions, and all those who do are without a doubt following the Egyptian lead. But surprisingly enough, it is a common practice in the New World, the United States of America. In the 19th century, during the Victorian era of medical experimentation in the US and English-speaking countries, circumcision was promoted as preventing masturbation in boys and as a cure for hysteria in women. However, some Victorian doctors went beyond the masturbation argument, claiming that circumcision prevented or cured conditions ranging from syphilis to epilepsy to mental retardation. As organized medicine evolved, circumcision was adopted by English-speaking countries in the 19th century. Since then, Britain, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand have all but eliminated it. However, in the United States, it survives as a custom passed down from generation to generation. By the 1970s, the circumcision was peaking in popularity in the US, with about 85% of males being circumcised. At the same time, it was a decline in other English-speaking countries. Because so many men have been circumcised in America, it was long viewed as normal, but this is changing. Outside the US, Medicalized circumcision is rare. Approximately 75% of men in the world enjoy their natural, intact genitals. The American medical community began to increasingly adopt newborn circumcision, justifying it by saying it reduced infections, prevented phimosis, and was more hygienic. But most surprisingly to learn is that religious circumcisions are rare in the United States. Fewer than 1% of newborn circumcisions are carried out in the US as a religious ritual. The other 99% are performed in hospitals by doctors and have no spiritual significance. 
The United States is unique among developed countries in its widespread practice of secular, non-religious circumcision. Now, the frequency of newborn circumcision varies considerably by region in the United States. In states where Medicaid, a U.S. federal and state program that helps the healthcare costs for some people with limited income and resources, does not pay for routine circumcisions. So most parents keep their boys intact. Be aware that there is no evidence that boys in states with low circumcision rates are any less healthy than boys in states where circumcision is common. While around half of newborn boys are still being circumcised in the U.S., circumcision is virtually unknown in the rest of the world, except among Muslims and Jews. In fact, 17 out of 20 newborn male circumcisions worldwide take place in the U.S. of A. Anywho, in the U.S., statistics show an estimate of about 55 to 80% of newborn boys are circumcised before they leave the hospital. This means some men may choose to get circumcised in adulthood or never at all. Some men are concerned about the cosmetics and the sensation of the manhood after their circumcision. While it is certainly true that the penis would look and feel differently after a circumcision, treating any pain or harmful conditions of the foreskin are the utmost importance, at least according to the University of Utah Health. Aside from cosmetic, social, and cultural reasons, uncircumcised men may also need to get their foreskin removed for various health reasons such as phimosis. This is when the foreskin is too tight and cannot be retracted from the head of the penis. Paraphimosis. This is when the foreskin of an uncircumcised penis cannot pull back over the head. The conditions occur more often in boys and older men. Balanitis. This is inflammation of the glands, which is the head of the genital. Postitis. This is inflammation of the prepuce, otherwise known as the foreskin. Belanopostitis. This occurs when both the head and the foreskin are inflamed. Cancerous or precancerous lesions on the foreskin. Warty lesions of the foreskin, like viral warts. Although the American Academy of Pediatrics does not recommend routine circumcisions at birth and leaves the decisions up to the baby's parents, the organization does list some medical benefits that support performing the procedure, which includes lower risk of HIV, slightly lower risk of sexually transmitted diseases, a slightly lower risk of urinary tract infections, and penile cancer, even though they're both rare in all males. Now, just a warning y'all, this is going to be a bit more explicit. There are a few different circumcision techniques. For newborns, doctors typically use a clamp. As the foreskin is pushed from the head of the genital, the doctor will clamp it with a metal or plastic ring-like device to protect the head of the penis while they remove the foreskin. For teenagers and adults, the doctor would need to do a much more precise surgical procedure to get a good cosmetic outcome. The doctor would perform the circumcisions under a local anesthetic that is injected near the base of the penis. However, you can request to be put under general anesthesia for the procedure as well. 
The doctor will make an incision just below the head of the manhood and remove the whole foreskin with a scalpel or surgical scissors. They will then close the incision with dissolvable stitches that attach to the skin of the genital below the head. The stitches usually disappear within two to three weeks. There is also another method aside from circumcision. The procedure is a variation of circumcision that doctors try first on patients with a tight frenulum, which is the tissue between the head and the underside of the genital. This can cause pain or bending during an erection. If this is the case, the doctors may perform a frenuloplasty to change the length of the frenulum of the penis and ease the restriction. Now, the procedure can be done under a local anesthetic or general anesthetic, whichever is preferred. It's a quick surgery that's minimally invasive. The doctor will start by dividing the skin with a horizontal incision near the top of the frenulum. The cut will be restitched lengthwise to elongate the frenulum and alleviate the pain. Then, they will use dissolvable stitches to close up the incision, which usually disappears within two to three weeks. See, a few snips, in and out, and it's done! I gotta admit, this is one topic I never envisioned myself talking about, but I couldn't help it. Researching all this information, I noticed that a lot of resources tended to talk about this procedure as if it was a mythical act, or that men were too shy to talk about it. But trust me, men are worse than grandmas sometimes, hence why I'm here in the first place. And let me tell you, there was just some sites that I really regretted clicking. Anyway, not the point. I also noticed that there were many sources also demeaning this practice, and I really wanted to find the sources to either sustain those reasonings or debunking it for y'all. Anywho, like I've said before, I'm just a simple journalist making sure that y'all have all the resources and information to make a decision if it is ever in your hands. This episode on Shots of Endorphins was produced by me, Joyce Grace, and a shout out to my research team. If y'all enjoy Shots of Endorphins, well, you're in luck. This podcast has its very own website now, so you can visit and listen at shotsofendorphins.com. You can help support this podcast by clicking on the support tab as well. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram by searching up Shots of Endorphins or subscribing to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming services you're listening to. And when you do, don't forget to shoot me a greeting. It's nice to meet new people. As always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to smile.